So for all of you who had the privilege of joining us last week, we busted open Lower Decks, the new Star Trek Adventures Lower campaign. Lower Decks, Lower Decks. All the new Star Trek Adventures RPG uh, module that has come out from Modifius. Um, I'm Michael Dismuke with Continuing Conversations and also a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG and really loving Lower Decks and so happy to have taken a part in writing it. And of course, let's introduce Jim Johnson. Hey everybody, Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modifius Entertainment. Low these many, many years now, going on seven, eight, something like that. And uh, brought this happy band together to talk more about Lower Decks. We're so excited mm -hmm. to have the license. We're so excited to be supporting it with uh, products and games and books. And uh, I just can't wait to, for this to get into your hands. I say it for every product, but uh, this one's really special. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And uh, we have a special guest here tonight. I want him to introduce himself. Aaron, tell us oh. all about yourself. I'm Aaron Pallier. How's it going? I'm a freelance writer for Modifius, working on the Star Trek adventures. I've been doing it since we we began. Um, and I'm really happy to be here. I, I didn't write anything specifically in this, but I think my fingers were on a lot of it. Because, you consulted. You definitely yeah. consulted. And it had to do because of the hats you both are wearing, of course. Yeah. Right. And for anyone who doesn't know what the USS Pioneer is, I'm not going to tell you. You, you know, if you really love Star Trek Adventures RPG, you would know if you love me. No. All right. So we'll let you all just Google that. The, the, no, and, come no, on. Watch the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just, just Google the ship registry number. I mean, just start there if you had to. You'll be surprised yeah. what it is, right? And let's keep in mind, there's there's many ships showing up on uh, uh, on Star Trek now that, you know, started out in the RPG arena. So, you know, you could, you could join early or you could be a latecomer. It's up to you. Anyways, <laughs> what are we here to talk about, Jim? Last week, we talked about Chapter 1. Yep, we're here to talk about Chapter 2 of the Lower Decks Campaign Guide. Mm -hmm. And uh, Aaron did say he didn't didn't write anything in this particular chapter. He did write other stuff in the book. So mm -hmm. he is not, mm -hmm. not, he's, not, he's not just uh, freeloading off of us tonight. He's here to, yeah. to provide some color commentary because uh, he did a lot of consulting on the book for certain sections of this chapter. Um, mm -hmm. Michael, I believe you wrote the, the lion's share of this uh, of this chapter. And uh, some more yeah. even to you to talk about it, but I will kind of guide us through it here a little bit. So uh, those of you who missed the last episode, go watch it because it introduces you to the book, introduces you to Lower Decks, how it, how we came to be here. And um, we're just going to jump right into chapter two. So if you want to go learn about the intro in chapter one, go watch that other episode. And uh, we're just going to jump right into it here. We're not going to do a lot of uh, dilly dallying like we always do. Of course, we yeah. Okay. Well, I, I want to say so this makes me super nervous when my name is like on an entire chapter because then I need I need validation from people. So I'm begging everyone who actually goes to this chapter. If there's one thing you like, let me know. If there's something you don't like, don't let me know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's too late. It's already in print. So, uh, but I, and of course, both you, you know, Aaron. I want I, I I'll go through where I definitely asked you for advisement. And Jim, I always want to know what you thought of something when it first came across your plate. Um, my, my my favorite thing, not my favorite thing, my favorite first officer is uh, Jack Ransom. That's my favorite. So I had a blast opening this up with his academy thesis to talk about why to espouse why second contact uh, is actually way better than first contact. And so um, that was something that I threw in there that, that, that I that I enjoyed. I don't know if. Yeah, feel free to comment on your leisure. I, I don't. I feel like I'm patting myself on the back if no, I talk no, no, about no, this no. chapter. I think, um, I think like like in chapter one where we used a Boimler to kind of introduce the, the 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 chapter, and you got his you know the character voice, and you kind of he kind of eases you into it, right? I think uh, opening up this this chapter with uh, an excerpt from Jack Ransom's personal log, or is a you know thesis or whatever. Um, really helped to kind of like set the tone, right? Because like Jack Ransom is a very particular character mm -hmm. with a very particular mindset. And um, I think he did a great job of, of getting his tone and feel for his character and how it relates to this chapter. Now, chapter two is all about Starfleet support operations. Mm -hmm. So as you know, if you've watched the show, the Cerritos and the other California classes and other classes within Starfleet are primarily tasked with support operations. They're doing the second mm -hmm. contacts. They're doing the follow-ups. 
they're doing all kinds of different support type of things. Whereas, you know, the, some other ships like the Titan or the Enterprise out there on the front line doing the doing the big ticket stuff with the with the fanfare and the accolades and all that crap. But the people doing the grunt work, the necessary grunt work that has to get things done to keep things moving, that's that's the support operation. So that's what this chapter is all about. And, uh, you know, Ransom is a fantastic first officer for uh, for the captain. And so I thought it was just great that you opened up the chapter with his with his perspective. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. And then threw in a couple of Easter eggs. Um, I, Al Spader, who's another writer on this book, a big writer at Star Trek, uh, a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. He's big into the random table. So he always inspires me. And so we threw in a random second contact missions table if you need some inspiration. And I always like doing the Easter eggs too. So there's some Easter eggs um, on that same page. I won't spoil them for people, but all I'll say is uh, Collis's fornication helmet and let people go from there. <laughs> People can take that where they want to. Uh, Aaron, feel free, Aaron, feel free to drop in commentary anytime you feel like you'd like. If there's something we're talking about that is relevant to, uh, okay, no, I mean, I think I think second contact and so Starfleet support missions are just as important as uh, the front line on the border kind of missions that Starfleet undertakes. And I think I said that last episode, but. When you look at Starfleet as an exploratory service, it's it also does act as kind of a law enforcement or a support service to the Federation overall. And since the Federation is such a large place um, over however many light years it is, uh, it has to wear a lot of hats. No, no pun intended for the PACLEDs. It has to wear a lot of hats. And because it has to do so many things, there has to be a lot of starships. And those starships have to do a lot of duties that you normally wouldn't see Enterprise doing the flagship of the Federation, so to speak. So yeah. I think this is a very important section overall. Well, well, here's what got me the challenge of it, right? Because this is something that wasn't covered in Lower, De Lower Decks or other shows in detail. Mm -hmm. So we hear about first contact all the time till we want to throw up, right? If I hear about mm -hmm. first contact and prime directive one more time, you know, it's just, okay, yeah, we get it. But, but second contact, that's why I like lower decks. I was like, oh yeah. It's like, how does that go? And so I was like, what general order is that? So I started Googling, I was nothing. I couldn't find anything on second contact general order. I was hoping that I could use general order two because that just makes sense to me um, that second contact would be general order two, but it's already taken if you look around. And so I looked around if there was anything definitive about general order three and there wasn't. And mm -hmm. so I had this big, re this is actually the most I've ever researched. Funny enough, you know, of all the books that you'd think some of the more serious tone books would be the most researched. This one actually drove me into a lot of research because I was like, well, what does it look like to have rules and regulations for second contact? So so I never I don't think I told you this before, Jim. But one of the things I did, I said, well, really, it's about setting up embassies. And I said, and setting up embassies and providing support once you go in and 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 make a partnership or an alliance with another with another country. So I ended up doing so much research with like the World Health Organization and the United Nations. Like, well, how do they do it? What's the procedure to not go in and completely destabilize and mess up a country. Um, so I did a lot of reading on that, took extensive notes, and then I had to turn it into Starfleet and ease. I had to turn it into, take it 400 years in the future and see how it applies to meeting other worlds. And that's when it just got super fun. Um, writing about all the different kind of support missions and uh, that you're going to have dealing with General Order 3. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, so uh, Aaron, here's a question for you. Um, sure. Just in your worldview or your galaxy view, would the uh, would the Starfleet Corps of Engineers fit into uh, support operations, or are they kind of a separate thing? Absolutely, they would. I mean, they they would be doing their own thing directly for the Federation, like with terraforming and large space constructions. But for general support missions, like oh, hey, there's a new planet that's just been inducted into the Federation, and they want to start building a starbase. Yeah, of course, they're going to go out there and do it, or they're going to be the ones that are surveying for minerals in an asteroid belt, specifically in a in a new inhabited star system. But yeah, Corps of Engineers would definitely fit into a support, just like the Army Corps of U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is there, like building levees and piers and things like that uh, all over the United States. So like after after Hurricane Katrina, 
you know, went through Louisiana. What it was that 2005? I'm sorry if I, I, I 2004, 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to rebuild the levees, and they're the ones that are picking up the pieces. That's Starfleet support. Just think of it on a planetary scale. Hey, there's a planetary disaster or something really bad happens, and the Starfleet support, the Corps of Engineers comes in and helps rebuild. Yeah, I actually referenced them in the General Order 3 um, in the different type of relations preparing, uh, you know, that you may have to prepare to help a planet out. Because mm-hmm. because of, of something, again, I researched on this was the term technology convergence. Is that something you had heard of before, Aaron? I'm asking Aaron because he's literally one of the most smartest people. Well, on <laughs> to, to like bringing a planet up to speed with the rest of the Federation once they've joined. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd have to help you'd have to help bring up their technology base, their industrial base to be able to contribute to the overall Federation economy, as strange as the Federation economy is. Okay, when I, when I talk about technology converge, convergence, maybe as a different word, but it's taking two or three or four or five different kind of technologies and seeing how they can evolve technology even more working together. And so okay. I thought about the and I reference that the focus in one in one of these in this chapter where one of the things that you have to do in second contact is take a look at their technology, mm-hmm. look at Fed Starfleet technology and figure out what are these two technologies going to do once they come together? I guess I'd, I'd think of it as like technological integration. Yeah. Yeah. Integrations. Yeah. I've heard that term also convergence. So, so it was cool because honestly we could riff on this all day guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I haven't had a chance to really talk with, with Jim and you, you about this, but just the thing, you know, uh, Jack Ransom mentions it in his Academy thesis where he's like, okay, yeah, first contact people go and they spend one night with you and they leave and they go off and, and you never see them again. Whereas the second contact people are here to maintain a relationship. Mm-hmm. And what is that to me? It, it slows me down. It boggles my mind. What does that look like to really learn someone's culture? First contact cannot teach you someone's culture. The second contact people are actually to me becoming way more fascinating. Mm-hmm. And second contact would be the first steps towards a planet uh, joining the Federation. Right. It's because I mean, after first mm-hmm. contact, after second contact, they're not members of the Federation yet. Right. Correct. Yeah. At, at, at the best, they're allied, allied systems or something like that at best. Otherwise, yeah. they're still neutral and you're just there helping them out through goodwill. Yeah. yeah and so what, go ahead, Jim. What are you saying? I was just say, I, I would almost argue that uh, in some ways, uh, Commander Cisco's uh, uh, job at the beginning of DS9 was was support. Right. He was he was there to provide effectively a second contact with the uh, with the Bajorans. Right. He was he was put in charge of the of the station, you know, managing the station. But he was also there to build relationships with the Bajorans and try to encourage them to get into the Federation. So I think, you know, part of his mission mandate, no doubt was related to, to, to a support operation. Cause uh, like he, what he, he was on a station, he wasn't going anywhere, right. Mm-hmm. He had to build yeah. those relationships. He had to make the connects with the, with the, um, with the government and with the religious body and with the major Kira and just had to make it work. And so like, like that kind of concept fits right into everything that you wrote in the, in this chapter. I actually love that because if people are playing station games, you know, sometimes they're struggling to figure out how to build modules or to adapt these, these exploration modules into their games. I'm going to invite this chapter here might actually do it because it talks about, I mean, when I write one of the, not, it's not a rule, but it's unspoken rule between me and Jim and even Aaron and some of the other writers is we want every sentence in every paragraph to be its own prompt if possible. You should be able to take that, tease it out and make a story. So, so some of the things I'm just going to read a sentence just so people have an example of it with second contact, cultural misunderstandings, maybe one gesture away. What looks and tastes like a common fruit could be a slow acting poison. Sleeping in a certain position at night could be the signal for assassination. A popular clothing color or lipstick could be a statement for war wearing clothes could be a sign of disingenuousness, a signal that one is nearing death or a call to copulate. So, so, you know, all those things in there with second contact, I tried to really dig in, whether it was diplomatic missions, rights of the representative, um, developing economic scientific relations. Each paragraph, I really dug deep and thought, okay, can we get a potential story out of every one of these sentences? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think that really highlights uh, one of the strengths of Star Trek, right? Is that that it, you know, infinite diversity, infinite combinations. That like you have to think outside of your human-centered brain to get into the science fiction to think that there are cultures and aliens and species out there that are so different from us and they might have more appendages than we do or, or more different, more senses and different ways of looking at things to where like something that we think is totally normal, they would be morally offended by mm -hmm. and would not hesitate to reach out and destroy us given the first chance to get because of just a cultural misunderstanding or a language barrier. I mean, we've seen it, we see it plenty of times and we've got the history backing up we see we see that stuff happen all the time on earth right, right? Mm -hmm. and that's just humans to humans right and then you just add the whole science fiction angle to it with alien species and that whole gigantic cornucopia of possibilities that are out there then like there there is like you know, like, like being second contact is fraught with danger because you don't know what Way you're walking into right so yep. there's all kinds of ways to, to, to play with that and to and to really ratchet up the the drama and the tension well, yeah, which is why part of the General Order 3, which I wrote in there, was something of a subsection called Rights of the Representative, because we all hear about, you know, diplomatic immunity all the time, right, for, for ambassadors and their family. And I said, well, UFP must, before you even think about continuing relations with a species, you have to say, hey, you know what? We're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. We all need an out. There has to be neutral ground here. So I want, I covered especially if you're playing a lower decks campaign where you're a family member of maybe the senior crew who's blowing stuff up, you kind of get a diplomatic immunity in, in, in a case. It's a safety built into the game, built into the TV show. But not only that, but also the property, like wherever you're staying, the apartment on planet Zunatube 3, that also gets covered if it's anything like the United Nations ambassadors. The apartment you stay in is considered Starfleet property. So everything inside of it is not subject to search and seizure and stuff like that. I said, oh, this this would really build some really good campaigns mm -hmm. if if you try to enforce it, get back to your apartment to survive, you know. Mm -hmm. Um and and that it was just really fun to to tease that out. And and to add into the whole like misunderstandings uh thing that you were speaking about, look back to TNG and the episode Half a Life, where you have Tim uh Timson that is going to die at age 60, that planet had been known about for decades before that episode happened. Those kinds mm. of misunderstandings always will come out or those, we really didn't understand the society fully. We thought mm -hmm. we did, maybe they just didn't talk about it that much. They hid this part of their, their society. And now, whoops, here's a frontline starship that is now having to deal with a second contact kind of problem. It yeah. doesn't mean that they can't handle it because they, they should be able to just like, you know, uh, just like uh, Cerritos should be able to handle a first contact situation themselves. It's mm -hmm. just that these situations can, can pop up even decades after a first contact. And I think that's interesting. How long was it before the rest of the Federation knew about Vulcans and Ponfar? Yeah, true. In fact, I, mean, I know in a later chapter, it could be this one, but I think in a later chapter too, there, there's some encounters based off of first contacts. So it's called second contacts based on first contacts from the shows. So, mm -hmm. so things that were kind of left off and I've heard fans talking about for years, I was like, oh, well, let's have the Cerritos go in there and clean it up and see how it goes. So definitely yeah. something we laid out in here. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's something that uh, like the, the Star Trek, novelists and, and comic book writers and stuff and i we've always talked about that because it, it's always it, uh, even fanfic writers right it's always fun to go well you know so we watch that episode you know you know planet of the week alien of the week what what happens next like like let's revisit that like what happens after the enterprise comes in and bombs around for a while and then goes take says okay well see ya uh you know we're out of here but but like things changed right dramatic mm -hmm. things changed like what what happens to that species what happens to the Sigma Oceans? You know, they, they pick mm -hmm. that up in the comic book. What happens to, you know, this species or that species or whatever? And it's like, it's always fun to kind of go back and like extrapolate what could have happened with this culture, you know, having the, the, our heroes drop by for a little while and, mm -hmm. and shake things up and then disappear without any repercussions. You know, what, what happens, right? And, and this is just a great opportunity to really add a ton of depth to your, right. uh, to your campaign in, in ways that, uh, you know, a lot of other RPGs just don't, 
don't do, right? This, I think this is a unique thing about Star Trek is that you can really get into cultures. I mean, hell, you could you could create a you could create a, a second contact scenario and just run a whole campaign off of that one second contact, right? Like a Deep Space Nine, if that's yeah, a exactly. second contact with the Bajorans, right? I, I think again, when you play Star Trek Adventures, you have a lot of canon to base when you're not doing when you're doing first contact missions there's a lot of starfleet regulations and things that have gone wrong and a lot of case studies which is great it's fascinating because when i you know we, when you sit around with a bunch of players like i have a very advanced group of players they're citing episodes as precedents in first contact uh, you know situations but lower decks doesn't have that that's why i was again i was like I, we got to write a chapter so that players who have this book they're like well what is the protocol for that i tried my best to write as much protocol that is still open-ended enough for exploration but enough to be like okay that kind of makes sense because overall that's how the united nations does stuff and so i'm going to just use that as a as a base recognizable premise um, to use and so that was so fun because when i scoured the internet again there was a blank, there was a void about second contact missions. And I, I, for people who are um, uh, not even playing the game, maybe you're just into lower decks or you're just like collecting regulations about Star Trek. I think this might, I can risk to say this, maybe the first place where it's written down some sort of regulations about what to do in different second contact situations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the, before we move on to the next chunk of the chapter, I want to mm -hmm. say one of the things I appreciated about this, this, this first bit, where you're talking about some of the different missions that um, that crews can get into. What I really appreciate, you know, from a project manager standpoint, but also from a game master standpoint and a player standpoint, is that you you made a you, you provide a list of of sample focuses for each of those different missions. And I know that's something that a lot of our players have been talking about on social media for a while now. They always want more examples of values. They want more examples of focuses because, like, I think they get it but they just need more ideas like like you know they don't want to go get a thesaurus so they don't want to you know you know do social whatever that's fine uh but so we're providing them more ideas and like you know this isn't this isn't the be all end all list these are just more suggestions right and i know michael you're really big on focuses and values and so i really appreciated that you took the time to add in a paragraph and, and just throwing sample focuses that might be relevant to those missions uh so yeah. it's another tool for for players and game masters to uh, to make use of well, and I want people to know too, with that, like say de developing economic relations, we know that economics is its own science. It's its own, it's its own beast of study. And so in those applicable focuses, I went with business and finance. If you're helping establish economies, data analytics, macroeconomics, or even organizational psychology, performance management, because maybe you're helping build workforce develop, you're doing workforce development. So encouraging players to again, think like, yeah, what do maybe I do at work in the way of human resources that are small focuses that other people just don't have. And now all of a sudden you can bring that into your second contact game. I, I would risk to say everybody has a job in real life that would actually apply in a second contact situation, even if it's retail. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I thought it would be fun to have people get to that level. Right. Right. So. So, yeah. So that's a great, you know, great chunk of chapter. Now we, that transition transitions us to the next part of this chapter. And I'll be honest, this is probably one of my favorite sub chapters in the book. Um, mm. I, I remember really enjoying editing it and reading it and just rereading it again and again because I had to do it because of the layout. But um, from a from a player point of view and a game master point of view, this is that was the hat I was wearing for a lot of this. Because I, I really want to, that to be the focus, right? I, I try to think, I think, I, I read the book and I think about it as a player. And then I think about it as a game master. I do separate passes through it. And and this one really called me, this subchapter we're about, it's called Swabbing the Decks. And it's all about your, your, your duties and assignments and what duty shifts do for you. How does your crew deal with death? What is it like to die in space? Like, what do you want to do if you want to kill off your player character? Like, there's just a lot of really... Uh, in my brain, important stuff in here that is really super relevant to role playing a Starfleet character or a character in the, in the Star Trek setting, because um, there's stuff that happens in the in the episodes and the movies that are pretty dire that <laughs> don't always get a lot of screen time. Like you know it's happening, and it, it references it, and you see people dying and getting blown up or getting sucked out into the space and what, and it's like oh gosh, isn't that cool or isn't that horrific or whatever. 
but you don't the, the shows don't have the time often to show the repercussions of that right where mm-hmm. i'm convinced that like the vast majority of starfleet officers probably get regular counseling like half mm-hmm. of them probably have some form of ptsd on a regular basis and they just found coping strategies and and, mm-hmm. and regular therapy to make it happen but this ch- this subchapter michael i thought was really really great in terms of like providing me as a player and as a game master just even more stuff to put into my brain to put into the back of my head like i'm playing this character in starfleet who like i may not have even really thought about this stuff even though i know i did but um but like this is the kind of stuff that provides texture and context to what my character knows that that helps me role play more effectively as a as a character uh so i, I want to say thank you for writing because it was so thank you, so thank you. And yeah, i had a lot of fun appreciate with that it. and and I, again like uh i i love that you all really embrace the ideas that i throw at you and saying look Let's add more tools to the toolbox and throw these at players and game masters and see what they do with them. And so this is just a big subchapter full of full of tools. So I'll stop talking. I want you both to just you know reflect on this chapter and just some of the stuff that you built into this because it's just amazing. And uh, Aaron, I'm, I'm sure you provided some 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 feedback and some support on this too because I I, I, like yeah. I I felt Aaron throughout a lot of this, even though his his words weren't in here. So uh, go go uh, expound. Well, I I I really helped with the role of the ship's counselor part and mm-hmm. family connections. And it all, it, 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 I guess it stems back to the science division book where I wrote the whole section on ship's counselors and, and, and that position. And I felt that that position wasn't properly represented on TNG as well as it could have been. Uh, that, that Troy really didn't get to showcase her, her ability to, sit down and help the crew cope with the terrible situations that they have found themselves in because all of us unfortunately can think back in our lives and think of a traumatic loss that we have all suffered and now think of a traumatic loss of someone right next to you that might have been a friend that just got melted through a deck halfway or just got ripped out of the ship entirely from from explosive decompression that kind of trauma is going to stick with your character. It isn't funny. It needs to be addressed when it is appropriate in your game and for your group. But it, it, it what I'm trying to say with through Michael in a, in a lot of ways in, in this section is that the ship's counselor isn't something there to be just a, a gag. You know, hey, I'm 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 the bird's ship counselor too that always references food. Or whatever. While that can be funny and it, it it is used for gags in the show, that character is still there to help the characters process through some some ser- serious trauma. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And Lo- Lower Decks took a big risk to me because whereas Star Trek has always been known for placing a very high value on life. When you do comedy, it's subjective. It's just I just heard my I just heard Jim's voice in my ear. ear. Um, when you do comedy, it's subjective. Suggest subjective. It can be suggestive also, but it's subjective. And I thought Lower Decks handled this very interesting in the fact that you know what they made it a cartoon and people mentally let a cartoon go further. Oftentimes we've kind of been trained that way, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's cartoon life. So, so they have that, but then at the same time, uh, you know, we always make sure to include stuff about being conscious of your crew and your team and your players and stuff like that. Again, you got to be super careful what you joke about. Um, and, and so it was so, it, I was very sensitive rehashing a lot of the stuff we talked about in the game master's guide and, and putting it back here, but in lower decks, but also realizing that some groups do want to get together and have some pretty cynical, dark humor fun. And that's their call. You know? Yeah. And I think we, we, we kind of went that way somewhat that way in, in pioneer with, cause I, I originally started playing the game as the ship's counselor. Mm-hmm. was an angry tellerite who was theoretically the least likely person to ever be a ship's counselor right. but the point was is that he was a good counselor he listened he he made comments and didn't judge people for their trauma he just wanted to help them mm-hmm. if they didn't exactly. want to have help then yeah maybe he'd be a bit grumpy with them but hey 
get better. I want you to be better. You, I want you to be your best self because you not being your best self is a detriment to both yourself and everyone around you. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think while I was writing this chapter too, Jim, I think that was the time Shax came back on Lower Decks. He came, yeah. ba- he was resurrected. And I was like, oh, perfect. Because I was like, that became a whole nother comedy angle because the, you're not supposed to, apparently you're not supposed to ask people how they got, came back from resurrection. And I just, I was cracking up during the TV show about that. I was like, oh, this is a dark pyramid. Yeah, the timing, that. the timing was perfect. So I got really serious voice here and I, I created regulations as to why you don't ask about death, including the, the table, which I threw and I didn't know if you were going to cut it out or not about known and notable resurrections of Star mm-hmm. Trek characters. So I had to do all this research and try to find, I think I got almost every episode where people are resurrected um, in some form or fashion. I think I got them all in there. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I thought that was a really useful sidebar because um, it, it, it it illustrates just what kind of stuff has happened in the franchise. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can abs- absolutely, I mean, we could riff on every single one of those and, and find ways to fold that into our, our games, our, our own campaigns, our own characters to where like, Oh, you know, this thing happened to Worf. Sure. It could happen to somebody else. Or some other thing that happens to somebody else. Like there's there's all kinds of horrific things out there in the galaxy waiting to kill you in a million different horrible ways. And um and and you know, some of the some of the well-known characters have experienced some of them, right? And, uh, but have come back, right? So and, let's do a uh, random table about it. <laughs> yes, of course. And like so that we did, and we threw in a random <laughs> table. Did your did your officer come back from the dead? How? Here's a random D20 table, maybe. And, and a lot of these are Easter eggs from different episodes, I can guarantee it. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. So, uh, so a yeah, lot of and, them. Uh, I think know, most of. I'll, I'll actually say I, I actually think that ninety percent of them are Easter eggs from other episodes. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So if people argue about, it, it's like, no, it actually did happen. Yeah. James T. Kirk did come out of a Nexus ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the heck that uh, is. So uh, one uh, one note on uh, I, I, like I love the conversation you you two were having about the ship's counselor, and uh, I had a thought, but I didn't want to interrupt you because it was such a good a good conversation, but. Um, I, I just want to, it's a little bit of a non sequitur. I just want to say that, that, that ship's counselor thing and how important it is for, for Starfleet characters to kind of like talk through those experiences. Like, oh yeah, my, my best, my, you know, my roommate or, you know, my, uh, my bunk mate, uh, cause you know, some of them, you know, some of the lower deckers share quarters, right. Or share bunks, mm-hmm. or, not bunks, but, you know, share, you know, top down, top bottom bunk space with whatever, um, you know, got, got phased halfway through the bulkhead and died you know horrifically or whatever and i gotta deal through this mm-hmm. um i was i was really disappointed in the scene in the last episode of picard season three where um where troy is having a counseling session with data and of course this is a spoiler but you know what this is another this is going to be another month plus by the time this mm-hmm. episode airs you probably mm-hmm. have seen picard um i was really disappointed that they played that for laughs Instead yeah. of really looking at data, saying like data is a new data and has real human or humanistic feelings that he's working through on a daily basis with Troy. And like, I know they were playing it for gags, like, oh, you know, they're doing this every day. She's sick of it. She's she's scrolling through her thing, looking for uh, vacation spots or whatever. But I looked at that and I was like, man, I'm I'm disappointed they went that angle to it. Because I think, um, you know, after 30 odd years, I think, I think, you know, Troy, you know, maybe they'd have a different relationship. I don't know. I just, but I just felt really disappointed from that scene because I think that counseling session, that moment could be so powerful in a role playing game session. And I've seen it, right? I've, I've, I've had a counselor player and another player going back and forth in their, in their counseling session to where the one character or the one player was literally in tears mm-hmm. because they were just working through this character drama. And I know you guys have had similar experiences. You have, yeah. Great. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, sh- sure, lower decks, lower decks plays Dr. McGlimo off as, as ha-ha funny, and we'll throw in some cooking references because it's relevant and it's funny. But it doesn't have to be, right? Right. And, um, just, you know, find that, find that level that works with your group. You know, have that session zero. Have that ongoing conversation from session to session with your group and dial it in and see, see where everybody is, check in with everybody, and mm-hmm. just make sure you're not accidentally going going haha funny when someone's really looking for something more more serious for their character and and this goes to the point you made last episode too jim is for people who are wondering where they should get lower decks i know i purposely wrote 
the 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 side the humor to me is mostly in the sidebars that I wrote. That's where I that's where I make fun of myself and the self depreciating and and the franchise and the sidebars. But I actually wrote this content in here and again with with uh, Aaron's assistance on the counseling section and family connections seriously because these are things you're going to go through in your game. The the family connection part. I work in HR. I'm in the organizational development, which is kind of a branch of 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 you know, culture, people, culture and stuff like that. So when it came to the family connections, I immediately thought about all the policy of my work to protect people from incidents with their family in the, in the work environment. And I translated that into Starfleet and ease. I just, I just brought it into the 24th century. Um, so that it's relatable to people. So these are actually ways you could bring rules and regulations and have a whole episode about maybe nepotism in your game. That would be a fascinating, uh, episode of any Star Trek to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a great segue then. So talk a little bit about the next section where you talk about the family connections, Pro- provide a little bit more uh, insight into that. Yeah, so again, what I was saying, it's providing some rules and regulations about conducting code. Um, in Star Trek Adventures is a different game because it's, it's Space Navy, right? It's Space Navy. And so some play, some players, when they get together, they want to joke around a lot. Some players want to get together and really treat it like the hierarchical system it is in, in the Navy. And if that's the case, um, sometimes you can have people start getting a little too comfortable with each other, whether in the game they're pursuing a romantic relationship. I think about Tom and Bolana Torres, and they're constantly maybe kissing around corners. Why? Because it's really not appropriate to be making out in front of your staff. Um, and, and so I wanted to have a section on that on how to how to deal with that one of my most fun inset boxes to write was a new rule Uh, there's a new optional rule here called family ties meaning that if you have a family member on the ship when the ship takes damage and you roll an effect um when the ship takes damage it gives you a complication right away like how's my family doing and things are more difficult until you resolve that. Mm-hmm. And I think where I get that is again, looking at like Cisco dealing with Jake or, or O'Brien dealing with Keiko uh, or even Riker and uh, Deanna Troy. The, we've seen it viscerally affect these characters. And of course, Michael Burnham, who's, I think she always has this, this, this complication on her character every single episode. Yeah, it's a trait. Family ties. So, so I wanted to add that as a new cool, optional rule that if you do have family on the ship, don't take it lightly. It's going to impact your performance at some point. Mm -hmm. No, I I agree. I think family, family in Starfleet is something that, that, that a group of fans will say it just shouldn't be there. Even, even like post dominion war, it just shouldn't be there where I, I would be completely on the other side of it where if you have starships that are going off for years at a time, of course, there's going to be family on and non-Starfleet family, civilian family. Friends will become family. Exactly. Yeah. And then these second contact or support style starships that are always just cruising around the Federation, mm-hmm. they're in much less dangerous situations overall. I mean, yeah, we can we can point to Lower Decks episodes and say, oh, wow, no, they're in very dangerous situations. But overall, they're not. And therefore, it would be way more acceptable for family to be on there cruising around, helping out where they can. Yeah. Because even as a civilian, they might actually be able to contribute to the mission in some way, shape or form with whatever their background is. Yeah. Alpha beta quadrant, they could be stopping by just for a week or two. And that's yeah. when an attack happens. And this optional rule could come into play. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's your auntie who's visiting for two weeks and she terrorizes you for two weeks while she's visiting mm-hmm. Loxana Troy style. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think I, I just said we can't we cannot discount family being mm-hmm. on these ships, especially long range ships, mm-hmm. you know, even more so. I'm looking at both yeah. of your two cats who look exactly the same from their tails look exactly the same. So. Yeah, my, my cat's hanging out behind me, I guess. Yeah, my well, I had to do a drive by. My apologies. <laughs> you see this tail go across the screen. I mean, perfect, perfect for lower decks, right? Tell totally you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah okay, great, great stuff. I mean, again, just lots of great tools in here. Um, and again, this is one of those chapters I think will surprise people that it's not specifically about the lower deck show. Right. It's not the it's not the, it's not the, it's not the broad humor. It's not specifically about the characters. Um, it's really about un, what's underneath those characters and what those characters know going into it. 
Um, and then, you know, that leads us to the next subchapter, which I thought was, again, another really good chapter because it was just providing so much texture to, to, to life in Starfleet or into a similar, you know, similar polity. And this chapter talks about reassignments and transfers. Like, like, I mean, who talks about that stuff on the show? There's nobody. I mean, very rarely they, they get into that. A little bit sometimes, like uh, when uh, Thomas Riker, um, they resolved that whole show and he got, he got you know, he, he was a operations officer and he got transferred to another ship. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about uh, reassignments and transfers. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know in our show, uh, in our in our personal game, reassignments happen quite a bit. Uh, and it was, of course, the out of game explanation is some people are leaving the game and new people want to join. Um, and so we thought about it a lot, but I think it was important for people one to understand what the differences in military terms of a transfer and a reassignment. So we put the details in there um, with the examples from different TV shows. Um, and the reason why this is important in a lower decks campaign is because if you are in a lower deck, 90% of people in lower decks are talking about promotion. And in order to promotion, you got to get a lot of skills. You got to meet a lot of people so that when something becomes available, your name comes up. So as people will read through the lower decks book, they're going to see it's about career pathing and going for a promotion. And so I thought it was important to keep transfers and reassignments as possible opportunities or even possible um, uh when you're already at the bottom rung, how, how, besides being kicked out, what's, what can they do to punish you? They can reassign you, <laughs> you know, they could transfer you. And so I wanted to leave the, those options in there for game masters and players to, to fiddle with. Yeah. I, I think one of my favorite, favorite bits, uh, sorry, Aaron. No, it's okay. Um, one of my, one of my favorite bits uh, from, I think, I guess it was the first season is when um, Captain Freeman punished um, Beckett by promoting her. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of, instead of demoting her and sending her off to the lower decks or whatever, she's like, you know what? I'm going to make you a, a more senior officer and you're going to have to go to the senior officer meetings. You're going to have to go to the senior officer socials and you're always going to have to do these other things. It was just like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's mm -hmm. like that's like intentionally giving someone more stuff to do just so they can see how horrible it is to be a person with more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll feel relieved when they get kicked back down to uh, to Ensign. Go ahead. Yeah. Eric. Oh, I was going to say like a promotion might not be just because of it for for punishment but but i mean if you're promoted like if you're actually really successful as an ensign and you're going to get promoted up to lieutenant junior grade there might not be a slot for a lieutenant junior grade on your ship and you're going to get transferred to another ship that needs a lieutenant junior grade mm -hmm. so it's hey i i'm succeeding but i'm transferring at the same time it's mm -hmm. not really a punishment it's not like you're just trying to go get other experience to get the promotion it's I'm promoted and I need to go someplace else where, well, I, I have to go someplace else where I'm needed. Yeah. I mean, if I was running a lower decks, it happens in real life, but if I'm going to run a lower decks campaign and be funny about it too, I would give the lower deckers a boss. who's kind of like, yeah, if you do this, take latrine duty for six months, I guarantee you this. And then that doesn't happen. And you know, like, like there's so many situations where in real life, people are given these promised paths with, without mm -hmm. putting it in writing um, and it comes back to bite them. Um, so I would take all those bad HR situations and just run those through lower decks. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Aaron, you, you raise a good point. It's like, uh, I mean, yeah, you're in Starfleet, but but it's still a form of uniform service. Maybe not necessarily mm -hmm. the military, but, uh, you know, sometimes things come up and, and the needs of the service outweigh the needs of the individual. And, uh, and, you know, if you are on a, on a, on a, a track to be, you know, if you are in your, if your career, want, if you want to grow your career and get more responsibility and do more things, then, then it's very real, very real possibility that you will have to switch roles to a different ship or to a different station mm -hmm. or a different posting or something and just continue to, to grow and, and diversify a bit. And because, uh, you know, you can't be like, you know, Riker on the Enterprise for seven years and not 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 move up. Like if you want to move up, then you got to get out. Right. You got to yeah. you you flip your badge, go somewhere else, go to a different company. <laughs> right. In, 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 in our game, like the, my my Tellerite counselor character refused promotions for the longest time for decades yeah. just because he didn't want to be shuffled to a desk job on a, on a, on a star base. Right. Like, no, no, I'll, I'll do something awful to ensure that I get my demotion just in, in case somebody thought I was going to get promoted. I'll get demoted just so I don't get stuck on a star base right. in that position. 
Yeah. So yeah, getting promoted sometimes is a punishment in a way that you get stuck someplace you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I found some gold because, oh, so go ahead, Jim. What were you going to say? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Like I said, and I found some gold because for those who want to be official about the transfers, I was able to scour um, and find uh, something. For, I, I forgot. I sent you the reference, but for Starfleet transfer regulations. So there's that sidebar that explains all the different reasons. It's not, excuse me, all the different reasons, but there's a bunch of reasons that have showed up in Star Trek throughout the years. And this was pulled off an actual LCAR screen from one of the shows. <laughs> so so I caught a lot of these from that LCAR screen, which was really cool. Um, and people could of course add to those if they want to see people it's, it's this attention to detail that you gotta love that we drop into these books when we can whether it's in the graphics or the text or something like we love star trek just as much as anybody else and uh, we're doing our best to drop in these easter eggs and these little references uh, i was just gonna you know add that uh um as i was working on on the book and reading all this great stuff i knew that there was a a sidebar or a conversation i wanted to include in a book i knew it, this was the wrong book for it um, but at some point I'm going to put this, I'm going to plant this seed in both of your heads so that we can think about it at some point for some future product. Um, I would love to have some sort of conversation, not conversation, but, you know, essay or discussion in one of the books that talks about how, like, or how and why some people join Starfleet and they're not joining Starfleet because they want to become an admiral, right? They don't want to get promoted. Mm-hmm. They don't want to get command of a starship. They don't want to become an admiral. They don't want that career tra- trajectory. Mm-hmm. They want to do a particular job really, really well for mm-hmm. a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. And you figure this is the 24th century, 23rd, 20, 27th century, whatever. People live, uh, humans live to be 140, 150. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mind boggling for us because we usually live into our 70s and 80s, right? And mm-hmm. And like even now, you could probably have two very long careers in your lifetime, right? You know, you know, 20 years in the service and then another 20 years as a contractor, you know, and then maybe even another 20 years if you're lucky doing something else. Maybe you're doing um, a lot of volunteer work or something. But people who joined Starfleet, like, you know, Picard was in Starfleet for 70 odd years on and off. And like Tuvok, right? Like Vulcans live mm-hmm. even longer. So he was in Starfleet, quit, went off and did other stuff, raised a family, mm-hmm. came back for another umpteen million mm-hmm. years because I, re- I remember reading a lot of fan complaints like why isn't Tuvok an admiral blah 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 it's like mm-hmm. well maybe he just didn't want to be an admiral maybe he was really happy being a captain mm-hmm. like Kirk like like Kirk got yeah. an admiral mm-hmm. but he hated it and he mm-hmm. got bumped back down to captain and then he thrived again of course then he got killed uh, but I would love to have some sort of discussion about that for the role-playing perspective to say you know your character may be perfectly happy being a lieutenant commander mm-hmm. in operations for 40 years Mm-hmm. doing really amazing stuff and a lot of science and a lot of engineering or whatever. And maybe they just don't care to get promoted, you know, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I've seen like a lot of uh, service people or or, 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 or civilians who don't understand like how the military works to where like, you know, you don't join the military to, to expect to become a general or an admiral or whatever. You, mm-hmm. there's, there's other things to do. And I, I would love to find a way to fit that into one of our books at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the first thing that came into my head when you were, you were talking about that is like, who wants, who wants to deal with the paperwork that being an admiral has to, has to <laughs> right? entail. That that has to be a miserable experience and it takes a special kind of person to, to right. handle that for any kind of time. Hence why Kirk was like, Oh God, this is terrible. This is, I don't want to be Starfleet operations admiral. Right. I want to go back the, to being a captain. Yeah. I'm when you do that. Yeah. When you say it, Jim, the first thing I think about is I could see joining Starfleet, even if you're like, oh, you don't want to be a captain, why would you join? I could see it just so that as a scientist or a researcher, mm-hmm. I have access to their technology. If I have an idea, am I going to go try to find a colony or outpost or somehow pull the funds together myself to build this amazing you know, technology? I need a starship to explore a certain type of star. No, I'm actually going to try to figure out which starship I need to get on so that I can go ex- you know, best study the remains of the Genesis planet, who, who, which starship do I, and I get the best sensor arrays in the galaxy to do this. So to me, I could see people who are motivated with wanting to learn and explore saying, okay, I'll sacrifice a little, meaning I'll have to, yeah, take orders, but I'm going to hopefully get, work my way to a position where I have some say on these missions, these science missions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah or medical tech, you know, maybe a doctor who really wants to 
spend 20 years in Starfleet having lead scientists that go back and help their home planet or their home continent with something, maybe agri study agriculture and they head back and help their people. And, you know, there's just some, literally there are a billion reasons why you would join Starfleet without even wanting to be in the command structure. Like yeah. th think of the one guy from TNG that's the ship's historian that specializes in 20th century history. Why, why is he there? Why is mm -hmm. he on a, on a galaxy class starship on a deep space exploration? Well, maybe, yeah, he is a 20th century historian, but he also really, really, really likes anthropology, mm -hmm. xenoanthropology, and he's wanting to get uh, his doctorate in that. Yeah, he already has a doctorate in one thing, but now he can really get a doctorate fast in this other way by serving in Starfleet on board this ship. And it just so happens that my captain really likes 20th century detective novels. So I'm in like Flynn, you know, like their pension is probably really good too. Like if you choose to retire on a Federation aligned planet, you probably get a hover car. You probably get an apartment. You probably don't have to worry about paying for dinner and drinks. Most of the times within Federation planets, like that badge, I, like, I may do it for that too. You know, good Especially, healthcare. Good healthcare. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, actually that, that, that raises a good point. That that's another kind of angle that I don't think we, we, I don't think we've really focused on yet. And we've alluded to to the moneyless society a little bit, but like, like we haven't really turned the screws on the idea that like when education is essentially free, mm -hmm. you can go get multiple degrees, multiple mm -hmm. doctorates. You can have like your, you know, mm -hmm. Joe, you know, jo Joanna Lieutenant in sciences on a, you know, dinky uh, O-birth class mm -hmm. might have like six doctorates in mm -hmm. various in different sub subjects and fields. And it might be, you know, a brilliant officer among other brilliant officers. And what a whole different world that is. Like, you know, for, you mm -hmm. know, for us nowadays, like, you know, someone might have certainly multiple, you know, doctorates, but might also be saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of uh, student loans. Right. And that's yeah. just the horrible world we live in right now. Uh, but you take that away, that element away, and it's like, oh, gosh, you know, if you could learn literally anything you wanted to, given mm -hmm. the time and the fact that it costs you nothing, what would you go learn? What would you go yeah. Oh, so now, things, now right? I see now I see what you're talking about, Jim. You're talking about a whole section on the benefits package that Starfleet uh, offers to people to come take the risk. Because I'm sure we already know, I think it's canon and beta canon, that after the Dominion War, they had to start doing recruiting again. They were fast promoting people into positions because of the massive losses after the Dominion War. So I would love to see what their recruiting drive and their benefits brochure looks like. I would love to design that. Oh, you know, and what's funny though, bring it, bring it back to Lower Decks then, is there was that there was that episode in uh, mm -hmm. in season three where Boimler and Mariner were on that one planet and they were working the booth, right? They were working <laughs> the Starfleet booth, handing out the brochures, trying to pump up the uh, the audience to come join Starfleet. And they yes. had the hecklers for one side. They had the hecklers like, "We why would you want to join Starfleet? That's dumb. Why would you do that?" Well, <laughs> yeah. The, the the reason is is you can go out and actually explore the universe where you might not have the chance to is just being a civilian, right? Like that would be Bash would argue you can do it with a queue. You don't need a starship. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You have to be lucky for that, right? Right, right. So, so yeah, I mean, th th you're right. We, I honestly think it would be fun to sell people on why they why they should join Starfleet. Because mm -hmm. I'll tell you right now, people coming from like a Star Wars RPG and they've never watched Star Trek, you have to do a lot of selling to help them understand. Well, why can't I just get my own little ship and fly to Dagobah and have a lightsaber? You know, because they go all over the galaxy without the help of such a clean cut system. So, mm -hmm. all right, all right. And just, and Michael, just to riff on that a little bit, what what a great. Um, what a great character um, subplot that would be, right? If you had a if you had a Starfleet office, one of the player characters was a Starfleet officer who was like like Starfleet to the core, like rah rah Starfleet, let's go, everybody should join Starfleet. And then another player character was playing a civilian, like a scientist or an engineer or something, and like they always had the, they always had this back and forth dialogue of like, well, here's why you should join Starfleet. And blah, 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 blah. And like every episode, they they have this like they have to do the little pitch, they have to do yeah. the hard pitch or the hard sell or something. That would just be a little fun. Especially if, especially if in between it was like their 17 year old child, uh, the Starfleet <laughs> officer's 17 year old child 
who is going to like stop talking to that person but they're cool <laughs> ma you know and, and yeah, yeah that would be a great great ongoing joke yeah all right, all right. let's uh, let's 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 move this toward the mm-hmm. end here i know we've been going on long enough but uh, <laughs> the uh, the chapter wraps up uh, i don't think uh, any chapter about support operations could end any other way but we we just had to talk about division 14 uh, there was a there was a fan fantastically macabre episode in season one it, featuring D- division 14 and again this is something that happens in star trek that you don't really think mm-hmm. about and this is why i love lower decks because they shine a light on it <laughs> and you're like all those horrible mutations and weird things that happen to characters that you don't really touch on again later what happens if they're all collected up on one ship and sent to the farm like what mm-hmm. happens if you encounter them so division uh, division 14 being responsible for that so uh guys, I, talk a little bit about division 14 yeah i have to say this is my second favorite episode of the entire series um good, yeah, yeah th- this one had me from the beginning i was like oh i was like and then the way they i'm not going to give a spoiler for anyone the way they flip it at the end i was like mm-hmm. oh yes drop the mic on it so so 500 words was definitely not enough you assigned me i remember 500 words on this and i was like what Impossible. There was just so much I could have unpacked in that episode, but I, I somehow convinced you to let me do a table too. And so I was able to really expound on it. Um, Division 14 is fascinating, but I, I want to talk about the, the, the focuses. <laughs> this is based off the episode again. This is where I could go so crazy on the focuses. Can I read them out just because I want to show people where Star Trek adventures can go? Yeah, let's not read the whole list. Why don't you, okay. why don't you give us, don't you give us uh, like five of them? Okay, I'll just I'll just do five. So to give you an idea, if you're a Division 14 character, you're playing from there, massage. <laughs> I was like, obviously, massage would be a major focus mm-hmm. if you watch the episode. Other ones were based off some of the some of the um disabilities I saw or some of the deformities that were in the cartoon, quasi-refractive gerontology, uh, displaced cranial abnormalities. And then my favorite one was biophysical quantum disentanglement procedures. And so these are focuses that you would need. They they mean nothing, but imagine how you could explore that as a Mm -hmm. comedic player. I just, there's just so much in division 14. Composure. Or, 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 or not. You don't have to go comedic with these, right? Yeah. It could be deadly serious focuses because uh, a, a lot of these are, are real life disabilities that people deal with on a day-to-day basis. And there are specialists who are who probably have some of these focuses that are trained to help um, um, address those issues. So you can certainly go broad comedy like Lower Jackson did, yeah. uh, but it, you don't have to, right? And I think that's one of the, the things we really tried to get to connect with this book was to hit it on a couple of different levels uh, so that you could do the big humor of lower decks or you could do, you know, the more serious side of Star Trek and, and still have it be in the same book and relevant. So, um, yeah, yeah, great stuff, Michael. Um, yeah. why, don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about that table? Because I have to admit, <laughs> this is probably my favorite table in the whole book because uh, it's just so like like the combinations of things. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but why don't, you, why don't you just talk about the how the table is set up so, so that somebody okay. could do something with it. Yeah. So I, I honestly, I, I don't know what I was drinking when I came up with this table. I was like, oh, this really works though. It's kind of, it was morbid fun. And so basically your character has an illness or injury. So you roll on the 20 D20 table to figure out what the illness or injury is. I did try to make it more comedic. And only the reason being is because I am very sensitive to player groups. And so I would, I wanted to go into the realm of the, um, uh, uh, of the silly, just so that we realize that disability is nothing to joke about. You know, I wanted to say, okay, this is cartoon humor here at this point, Roger rabbit level stuff. So uh, first I list these comedic illness and injuries, and then I came up with what caused it from a very size sci-fi so you roll on the cause and then finally you roll on the cure which of course sometimes is just completely wackadoo but just making it more fun more lower decks level humor um for those who need help prompting like oh we have something really weird going on with a crewmate like that you know kind of i think about how boimler got stuck in transporter sequence with the transporter noise that kind of level stuff i wanted to you could have a whole episode just around this one quirk yeah 
Yeah, and we see this on the show, right? There's there's plenty of episodes where I, there's that one episode with uh, got where Tendi got turned into some horrific space monster. <laughs> it, was, it was rampaging around the ship, and then finally by the end of it, everything's back to normal. Of course, mm-hmm. but but just that horrifying macabre like body horror type of thing. But you're adding that comedic like this is I mean it's awful looking at it from one level, mm-hmm. but then it's just so ridiculously funny to see it happen and all the things happening. So like you know, being able to combine an illness and a cause and a cure, just totally random. Like I, I mean, I, I'll admit, Michael, when I was editing this, I had to take a break so I could pull out my dice and just come up with some, well, like what kind of combinations can I come mm-hmm. up with here? And I just, uh, I, I think I lost that evening because I was just laughing too much, and uh, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to come back to this tomorrow because if I try to edit this table, I'm just gonna laugh <laughs> all night long. Okay. <laughs> I need to be focused. I need to be serious about this so I can get it done. Well, my favorite was the favorite illness or injury was, was if you roll on, it was speaks only with Klingon expletives. Cause that would be such a fun game. <laughs> like if the person at the other side of the table can only speak in Klingon expletives the whole time, right. it would just be such a funny game to have. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Anyway, yeah. All right. So that's chapter two. Uh, we we managed to talk about it for like almost an hour. I, Twenty pages in an hour. I don't know how we did that, but uh, that's just how we how we roll here on continuing conversations. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's uh, let's jump over to uh, gratitude and call it a night here. So uh, Michael, what's your gratitude for for this evening? Sure. So I'm gonna actually. Uh, I was thinking about it. Liwanika. Uh, he's with Tabletop Journeys. Uh, Liwanika Miller. We had a conversation on social media, and I'm gonna actually thank him and actually thank Michael Dorn for something because he had won some sort of bet or had some sort of discussion with people years before saying that Worf was the funniest character in Star Trek, and Liwanika recently won because Picard three. I think to me, Michael Dorn actually was to me funnier than data data usually is the comedy relief kind of character um i thought in star trek but michael dorn took it so my thank you is to leonica miller and to michael dorn for keeping the humor alive in star trek and of course that inspires things like lower decks for sure yeah good stuff uh aaron what's your gratitude for tonight i think my gratitude is to the fans to that have allowed us to actually write something from lower decks to get us to the point where we can write something for lower decks get the rights to it and release it because like michael said before this has been a joy from all of us writers putting it in into text and trying to get our humor into it and fitting into the lower deck style humor as well trying to get them to mesh properly so obviously all humor is subjective like you've said but getting them to mesh and then hopefully the fans out there get it as well get the gag yeah yeah for sure i'm grateful yeah Tim, good stuff um again so many just gratitude to all the all the writers and the production teams over at uh, titmouse and uh you know mike mcmahon for creating such a great uh <laughs> i saw that michael i know it's hard not to it's hard not to i mean it's just it's just how it is and then we're you know immature adults i can't uh, i can't actually i can't speak for either of you i am an i am an immature adult sometimes so I, poppycock I, I, you're not an immature adult <laughs> uh anyway so gratitude to all of them for uh for even creating lower decks in the first place you know gratitude to alex kurtzman for greenlining the show in the first place and then making it happen um i think it brings a, a great different perspective to star trek that we haven't really seen before mm-hmm. and and uh, it just adds another nuance to it it's it just it, it, it's a lot of fun so I, I i hope people give it a shot at least yep. a couple of episodes give it a try see what you think um and then check out the book and if you like it you know great if not that's okay too but uh gratitude to all of them uh and then of course gratitude to the fans uh the the response to our press release and and the initial products has been uh gratifying and um like i i, I kind of thought some people would like it and i know that there are just detractors out there which you know is fine because that's you know there's there's a thousand hours of star trek so it's like lower decks isn't calling to you there's plenty of other Star Trek to go watch, and I'm sure you'll find something to do with it. Um, so, yeah, gratitude to the fans always, because uh, without the fans, we wouldn't be doing this. Uh, we couldn't be doing this. So uh, thanks for supporting us for as long as you have. Hopefully your support will continue on, and uh, and hopefully we'll be able to bring you a bunch of more cool products here in the coming uh, months and years. We'll see what happens. Uh, but in the meantime, we got Lower Decks here. Uh, two episodes down, we got more to come. So uh, stay tuned for next week. We'll be talking all about Chapter chapter 3. And um, and we'll continue on from there. So, um, Aaron, thank you so much for being here again. Really appreciate you. 
Michael, Over thank decks. you so much for running the show. Appreciate you. Uh, Jeff, awesome. behind the scenes, thank you for all the work that you do. Uh, can't, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, we would Studio Timbo. So, That's right. Thank you, uh, Studio Timbo, for everything that you do for us. So, uh, uh, all that being said, let's uh, let's sign off here as usual, Michael. All right. To all the distended olfactory organs capable of smelling subspace excretions. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. IDIC. Talk to you all next time. <laughs>